Have a seat. Hey, thanks for getting here this morning. It's a little slippery. Um, it was worse earlier, and that brings up a point. Uh, we only have, I think, three seats left in here, and we're praising God for that. If any of you would even consider coming to the earlier or the later, that would really help us out. The parking lot is absolutely full. Of course, we've lost some spaces because of snow. But uh, think about it. It's the same message, uh, unless Alan's preaching. And, uh, <laughs> but it's the same message every Sunday, every, every service. We'd just love to have you do that. I am three and a half weeks off of uh, full knee replacement, so that's why I'm limping. <laughs> Praise God. And uh, I can't do a lot of things yet, but my goal is to be able to chase my wife because I've never caught her. <laughs> never caught her, and someday I will, I guess. So, hey, let's get down to it. You know, I watched, I uh, was here last week for the final in the series on Sticks and Stones, and I watched the other three. Fantastic information, wasn't it? And it was really great, and it taught us how to use this, right? How to use these and this. Today, we're going to continue the process, but we're going to move from what we say to what we do. And we're going to do that by learning from those who came before us because they left us something from which to grow as followers of Christ. So I have a question for you, and I, I think almost everybody in here will raise a hand. Because of the loss of a loved one or a family member or something like that, how many of you have ever inherited anything, anything at all? You've got something from somebody who left it to you. You know, I, I have a... Uh, 16-millimeter projector, Bell & Howell from 1930-something that my grandfather left me. That's it. I have a, a bed, a dresser, and a couple of other items of dining room sort from my mother. That's it. You know what that is? That's inheritance. I mean, I like them. It's nice to inherit things, right? But eventually, they're going to go. They're going to all be gone. Reggie Joyner, a pastor, said this. He said, inheritance... Is what you leave to someone. Legacy is what you leave in someone. We want to talk about legacy. The next three weeks, utilizing the lives of three men of Scripture that we call patriarchs, Abraham, his son Isaac, his son Jacob. Paul told us in Romans that Abraham is the father of us all. What he meant by that was Abraham was a man of faith, and that was the established faith through multiple tests from God that was passed down to Isaac and passed down to Jacob. Now, not without flaws did Abraham live. And as we go in to discuss him today, there's no way we can cover his entire life and all the events of it. We'll pick and choose a few here and there, and then next week when we're talking about Isaac, we have to, again, talk about things Abraham. So today we want to talk about Abraham as the father of the faith, the one who began it all, the one who was living in a, a very nice city with his father and his families, and everything seemed to be going just really fine for him, and something happened. And that is that, remember, he was growing up in a family that didn't worship God. They had idols. There were some in stone, some in wood. And so he would worship these with his father because that's what his father taught him. But none of these things ever talked back to him. And then one day, he hears a voice. 
Abram. I'm sure it was deep, you know. <clears throat> Abram. And he says, yes, Lord. He says, I want you to go, take your family, leave Ur of the Chaldees, and go to a place that I'm going to show you. Now, he had a choice to make. He's like, wait a minute. None of the idols have ever talked. None of the gods I've ever worshipped had any input into things we did. And now, all of a sudden, are you, real? are you really God? Well, it must have convinced him, just this voice of God, to tell him to act on it. And what we're going to find as we look at, at Abram's life here, his name gets changed later to Abraham, is we're going to see five things about his faith. I call them the facts, the five facts of faith. There, there are five things that pass down from Abram to Isaac to Jacob all the way through Jesus Christ to you and to me. So they're alive for today. In other words, what Abram did is the call that you and I have to also model so that we can leave a legacy. Now, let me just give you a hint of what a legacy looks like. Jonathan Edwards, the great preacher of the Great Awakening in Northampton, Massachusetts in the 1700s in America, a study was done of his lineage, of his legacy. What did he leave behind? He left 789 direct descendants. 530 of those went into full-time ministry. That's just unbelievable. One was vice president of the United States, and three or four of them were actually in Congress. That's a legacy. That's when you establish something that passes down, that outlives you, something positive, and in our context, something godly. What do you have that you can leave your children and your children's children and their children? I'm not talking about what you can leave them to inherit. I'm going to leave a titanium knee to my kids. They can divide it up. <laughs> but what can I leave them that will go beyond me that actually came from beyond me? So I can leave them a faith that not only operates in word, but a faith that operates in action. So here are the steps. Here are the facts that turn into steps, things that you need to do to leave a legacy of faith for others. The first thing is obedience. It had to be hard for Abram to say to his father, listen, I'm taking my wife, my kids, my flocks, my nephew, Lot. I'm taking all of this, and I'm going to leave this city dwelling. I'm going to leave this comfort zone that I've been living in all these years, and I'm going out into the desert to a place that God is going to show me. I mean, really? You're going to go somewhere? You don't know where you're going. You don't know what you're going to do when you get there. That's right, but I believe that God told me to do it. What's your level of obedience to God? How do you know you're hearing from God? If you don't spend time with him, you're probably not going to hear from him. But if you're in his word, if you're in prayer, if you're in fellowship with one another, if you've got these things going in life, then God is going to speak to you because the first ultimate important thing of God is a call on you for a relationship. Maybe that was the difference that Abram felt, is knowing he's not just telling me I have to do something to please this idol. 
He wants to be in relationship with me. That's totally different. Wow, I want to be in relationship with this God. He's a relational God. So God has a call to you to come into a relationship with him. That's first and foremost. That's beyond a call to do something. That's a call to be something, to be in a relationship with him. Abram believed that. The disciples believed it. Remember when Jesus was gathering them together and he said to the fishermen, look, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. They didn't know who he was. They hadn't had much experience around him. They heard he was a rabbi. But what did they do? They dropped their fishing nets and they got out of the boat and they followed him. Not a blind faith, but a faith that was being energized by God himself who was saying, follow me, everything will be fine. That's the call of God into our lives. You don't have to understand God's call. You do have to obey it. How many times I've heard God in my mind, in my heart, through other people saying to me, this is what I want you to do. What's my first response? Well, why? Right? Don't you always ask that? You know, why God? Why do you want me to do that? And, and I'm waiting for him to come back and say, let's know your business. Just do it. You know? <laughs> and so I've learned, I'm not going to ask him why. I'm going to ask what? God, you're telling me to do something? Okay, tell me what it is. I'll go do it. I'm not going to tell you what it is. Okay, I'll go do it anyway. In 2001, I stood before my congregation and I said to them, God has called my wife and me after 16 years of pastoring the church. God has called my wife and me. Where are you going? I don't know. What are you going to do? I have no idea. Well, who's going to take care of you? God. They said, well, that's blind faith. No, no, not at all. That's faith that believes that he who began a good work in me will bring it to completion, that what I've committed to him against that day, he will protect. I believe that God is, that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So uh, by faith, I'm going to believe that if God calls me and says, I want you to do something, I'm not going to question it. I'm going to go do whatever God calls me to do. Now, I want to make sure that it's biblical. If it's from God, it certainly will be that it edifies me, makes me one who is in closer relationship with him by doing that. And then thirdly, that it's going to expand the kingdom that God has given me. Because you see, what happened in the beginning of Abram's call, we find in Genesis chapter 12, in these first three verses. Listen to what he says. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Three promises he's making. Those promises are still alive today. Number one, God wants to bless you. God loves you. He died for you. That's how much he loves you. He wants to bless you. Secondly, 
He wants to expand your kingdom. What does that mean? He wants to give you more and more opportunities to show the world who you are through him, that he can bring himself through you to do what needs to be done. Saturday morning, I was in Indianapolis for my grandson's first birthday party. Uh, what a blast that was. He won't remember it, but it was still fun. I was given a mission, and I had to go to Walmart. I walk into Walmart, and here's a lady sitting there, and she is the greeter. And her name is Bubbles. And as I'm limping in, we had five inches of snow there on Saturday. As I'm limping in, she says, oh, be careful. Be careful. You don't want to fall. And I said, I know. I said, I'm, I'm doing the best I can with God's help. She said, oh, praise God. Here we go. <laughs> she said, I need you to pray for my son. He's not saved. And I need you to pray for this. And, and you know, I'm just standing there. And so I said, okay, let's pray. So we had a prayer service right there. And afterwards, I called Linda and said, why did I come to Walmart? <laughs> You see, that's expanding the territory. Normally, she would have been with me. I could have gone do what I do, and she would have taken care of bubbles. But now it was my turn. So you see, when, when God blesses you, he wants to give you opportunities to be a blessing to others. And to do that, you have to take advantage of it. You have to listen to what God is saying because he will call you with these opportunities. Little ones, big ones. Going and visiting those who are infirm. Whatever it is that God calls you to do, obey the Lord and he'll do it. And then thirdly, not only does he want to expand your kingdom, but he wants to bless through you the rest of the world with the knowledge of who Christ is. So he's going to bless you, expand your kingdom, and bless others through you. That's what he wanted to do for Abram. That was the call. I would obey that call. If I'd been looking at wood, hay, and stubble and worshiping it, it never did anything for me, and suddenly I hear a voice that says, this is what I'm going to do for you. Hey, it's worth the risk. I'm going. So Abram goes. The second thing that was required of him was to be separate. You see, we are called into a unique relationship with the God of the universe. You and I who have followed Christ, who have accepted him as Lord and Savior, we are not of this world, though we are in this world. In other words, our home is somewhere else. We are aliens here, and we have landed, and it's our opportunity to share the gospel with people by the way we live and by the way we speak. But you have to be separate. What does that mean? Well, Abram separated himself from all of that that the world was offering him. So you have to separate your desires from the world. You have to start thinking, what am I going to do if this situation comes up? How am I going to handle this? Does it glorify God? Does it edify me? Does it expand the kingdom? It's real simple. To be separate means you're being edified, you're expanding God's kingdom, and you're blessing others. But you have to know that it's God speaking. You have to know the word of God to be separate. You have to separate from your previous actions, from your old desires. The old man is dead. The new man has risen. So men and women alike are now rethinking. We're bringing every thought captive to the word of God because we're thinking God's thoughts after him. 
We're trying to understand how does he want me to act in this setting and in this situation. And then we move on that. Separate. Now, being separate sometimes has some difficulties built into it. Abraham did not want any longer to be a part of a predictable world. He wanted to serve God. When you're serving God, you're at the height of unpredictability because God can do anything God wants to do whenever he wants to do it, and he'll do it through you. So be ready. Once you yield to him, he'll start using you, and, and he loves to do that. You're separated into a relationship. You see, the, the further away from the world, the flesh, and the devil I get, the closer I get to Jesus Christ, the closer I have fellowship with the Holy Spirit who's in me, the closer I am to the Father. And so suddenly I'm walking in the Spirit day by day, and I'm understanding life, and I'm seeing life in a different perspective. That's what God has called us to, to rethink our habits, rethink our actions, rethink our friends. It's risky to be different, isn't it? Because the world doesn't like us. They have very little use for you and I because we are followers of Jesus Christ. We love them in spite of that. But we continue to be separate from the way they think, the way they live. He was so separate that he didn't go out and build another house like the one he lived in in the city. He pitched a tent. He said, all right, God, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And, and I'll be happy to do it, whatever it's going to take. So use me to do these things. So he was obedient. He was separated. Think about it in your own life. What do you need to separate from? To whom do you need to separate unto? And how obedient are you being? Thirdly, you need to walk in him. You see, intellectual knowledge of who Christ is and the fact that he's called you and that you want to be separate from the world, that's great. That's all good mind stuff. It's necessary. But again, you don't understand to believe. You believe to understand. And so walking means I'm going to choose every day to get up and to walk in the Lord in a relationship covenant with him. Here's what God did. In Genesis chapter 15, I'll give you just one verse and then I'll explain it. God is talking to Abram. He says, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Now, let me give you the context. God said, Abram, I'm going to make a promise to you. I'm going to make a covenant, a contract. We're going to cut it in stone. That's what it actually meant. He said, so that you will know what I promise you, because I've promised that I would bless you, expand your territory, and I would bless others through you. All the nations of the world will be blessed. So now, let's strike a covenant of that, and here's how the world made covenants back then. The two people making the covenant would bring sacrificial animals. They would slaughter them some. They would cut in half, and they would leave a pathway between the pieces. And one person would be on one end and one on the other. They would walk and pass each other and exchange ends and then come back. The statement being, if I sell you a car, I'm going to say this. If you don't pay me for the car, the blood's on you. If you pay me and I don't deliver the car, the blood's on me. God says to Abram, 
go to sleep. <laughs> Sound asleep. Doesn't have any idea what's happening. God walks through the pieces, walks back through the pieces. What did God just say? He said, Abram, if you fail, the blood's on me. That's a covenant promise that God said, I will pay for all your failures, for all your sins, for everything you do wrong. I'll pay for it. I've got it covered. That's the old covenant, the one that was made with Abram. Jesus Christ stands before the disciples on the night that he was betrayed. He takes that cup and he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus is saying, this is not going to be the blood of animals. It's going to be the blood of God that is spilled as promised in Genesis chapter 15. So I am covering you with my blood. So as often as you drink of this cup, remember that. That's what Christ was saying. So you and I are under a covenant that Abraham cut with God, but Abraham didn't even know it was being done, but it was God's promise, and God has held that promise true to today. So we are now covered under the covenant relationship with God. Now that covenant relationship costs you something. You remember when King David was bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, he decided not to go all the way, so he stopped at a threshing floor that Aruna owned, and Aruna, knowing it was the king, said, I'll just give you the threshing floor, king. It's yours. Go ahead. And here are the words that David said. I will not take for the Lord what is yours or sacrifice a burnt offering that costs me nothing. Our offering, according to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service. Our offerings is ourself. I am offering to God myself, not as a, a sacrifice to be killed, but in recognition of the fact that it's going to cost me to walk in him. The Bible says, it's appointed unto you to believe in Jesus Christ, but to suffer for him also. Paul writes in Romans 8, 18, the sufferings of this present age aren't worth comparing to the glory that we're going to know. You know, so there is suffering that comes with us. You know it. You've been through it. Some of you are in it. But don't blame God for the suffering. Just accept whatever it is he's bringing because what he's bringing is to refine you. And so many of us have, have suffered. We understand that. Obedience and separation lead to a walk that is pleasing unto God. And a walk that's pleasing to him is one that keeps you in his face all the time. Short accounts with God. Talking to God all the time. Reading the scriptures all the time. Praying all the time. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And we do that in whatever walk of life is our functional calling. Not the calling into relationship, but the calling into the work that we've been called to do. That's what God has for us. G. Campbell Morgan said this, when faith looks, things are seen to be not what they seem to be. Faith sees farther than man's sight can perceive. This statement by Morgan leads us into the fourth thought, which is not only do you have obedience and separation and a walk, 
But you have to have a vision. A vision of God. Scripture says, without a vision, the people perish. And what it means there is without a vision of God, without you understanding who God is in your personal life, you're going to perish. You need to know what it is that God has for you. What do you see ahead? Taking Morgan's quote there, you're supposed to be able to see that which is not as though it were. And humans, we're the only ones that are actually capable of that. We can see a better world than the one in which we live. We can imagine that. I want to imagine my relationship with God being so tight, so secure, that he trusts me to do whatever it is he wants me to do. I don't, I don't want to have a casual relationship with the God of the universe. I want to have a significant relationship, not because of me, but because I'm open to him. And he is just as much in love with each one of you as he is me. He appreciates the gifts he's given you just as he has me. We're all called into different things. But you need a vision of what God has called you to be and to do. Without that vision, you're just going to go through life trying to find what God has for you. I believe in the assurance of things hoped for. I believe that everything that I need in life, God will provide. I do not believe that everything I want in life, God will provide. So I need to separate wants and needs in my vision and not envision the things of this world, but envision a deeper relationship with God. That's what I'm looking for, is I want to be so close to him that I can hear him. I want to be like Joshua in Exodus where it says, Moses then left the tent of meeting, but Joshua, son of Nun, remained. He stayed in the presence of God. Your presence, Lord, we sang this morning. That's what he's looking for with us, is that we will be in this presence with him. And in that presence, here comes the hardest part, the fifth thing. We have to persevere. Life in Christ never goes unchallenged. Never. It has been appointed to us to suffer. And each of you, in some way, Maybe some have not, but you understand it. You've lost loved ones. You've struggled yourself with difficulties of all types. And you know that this life is not a bed of roses. This life is a difficult life. Abram knew that. The Bible says that he had been tested at least 10 times, and it's the 10th one that throws me off the most. Let me read that to you from Genesis chapter 22. First two verses. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Now, Abraham is probably about 118 to 120 years old now. He's been walking with the Lord for 30 or 40 years, and um, he's been tested a lot. So God's not through with him. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am. He replied, and God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, Go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Wow. Seems a little inconsistent, doesn't it, for 
God to require someone to kill their son. But remember, this is a test. God already knew the outcome of the test, but he wanted Abraham to trust him. This is for Abraham. Abraham had such great faith that he doesn't say in his next statement in Scripture what I think I would have done. You know what it says here? It's early the next morning, Abraham arose. It's like, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. God, I think you, you know, not me. I'm like Moses. No, 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 no. You don't want me to go kill my son. This is my only son. This is Isaac. I'm not going to kill him. You crazy, God? But instead, it's, it's very active obedience. He gets up early the next morning. He says, Isaac, let's go. We'll talk about that next week with the life of Isaac. And they go down to the mountain. Now, here's where faith plays in. Listen carefully to this. He's standing at the base of the mountain, and he says to the servants who are with him, the boy and I are going up yonder, and then we will return. Now, he's been told to kill his son at the top of the mountain, but he's making a statement that we will return. So how do we connect those two that seem to contradict one another? It's because of something else that Abram says as he's going up the mountain with Isaac, and Isaac notices that Abraham forgot the meat that they're supposed to offer. There's no lamb. And he says, Father, where is the lamb? And if you read it in the original language, here's what Abram said. God will provide himself. That's it. So you see this faith of Abraham? I'm supposed to go up and kill my son, but God will provide himself. So either Isaac is Messiah and I will kill him and he will rise immediately, or Isaac is not Messiah and he won't die and God will do something different. That was his statement. That was his faith. Now he had to act on it. So he goes up there and he's got this knife and he's ready to make the sacrifice and he hears that voice, stop. Now I know. And he looks off in the distance and there caught in the thickets is a ram and he and Isaac offer it and they come back down the mountain just as he said. No, God doesn't call us to do that anymore. Why? Because he did it himself. He offered his own son. He killed his own son that we might have eternal life. So he doesn't need to repeat that test. Abram passed the test. And let me tell you this. God will test you. He'll test you in all sorts of different ways. And if you don't pass the test, guess what? You have to take the test again. That's how God operates. He's going to continue to refine you until you get it. And when you get it, then you've got it. And nobody can take it away from you. And you know that your faith has deepened in your relationship with God. So you have to persevere. That's the life of Jesus Christ. He came to this earth. He persevered through all the suffering and pain, the rejection that he felt, all the way to the cross. Hebrews says, keep your eyes focused on Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the suffering of the cross. That joy was to return to that relationship with the Father, the relationship that's now offered to you and me through Jesus Christ. 
So your first step is a step of obedience. Have you accepted the call of God into a relationship with him through Jesus Christ? If not, today when we pray, I want you to pray that. Lord, take over my life. I want to take this step of obedience. I don't understand, but I'm willing to do it because, God, you are speaking. And then we walk separated from the world, and we get this vision of God of what it is he wants us to do in the places he has located us. Just like bubbles at Walmart. She's got her territory, and she's ruling it for the kingdom of God. Is that you? When I ask the... uh, Worship team to come on back up, and then we'll take communion together. Remember, I told you about some of the things I inherited. I want to tell you about the legacy I received from my mother. My mother raised three kids on her own, single family, took care of her mother in the home, and I never heard her speak an ill word, never a curse word, If anything started to turn toward the dark side, she'd leave the room. She was an even-keeled woman of God. Every night, my curfew was 11 o'clock as a teenager, and as I would come into the home, I was required to walk past her bedroom. And I would see her in one of two positions when I walked by. One would be on her knees, by her bed, with her Bible in front of her, reading and praying. The other was sitting up in her bed with her glasses on her nose, her Bible in front of her, sound asleep. Did that impress me? At 27 years old, a situation occurred where I finally realized, this is awful, this is terrible. I'm not supposed to be in this situation and setting. My next thought was, ha, my mother told me there was a God. And I watched her worship that God. So if you're still there, God, can you help me? That was my beginning. Do you know that that year, my older brother, my older sister, and I all three became followers of Jesus Christ without knowing it, that each had done this. And we all came back to my mother, and she saw the legacy of faith passed down. We have now passed that legacy to our children who are passing it to their grandchildren. This is the legacy that God has left for you and for me through Jesus Christ. It's a legacy of faith, his faith that caused him to live the way he did. Come to Jesus, grasp that legacy, and go share it with the world. We're going to celebrate that with communion. If you'll hold the elements till everyone has been served, then we'll take together. I'm going to pray for us right now. You can come on down and begin serving. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you left us. You left us away. You left us yourself. We are in relationship with you. So, Lord, we pray this morning mostly for those who are seeking you, most who have never asked you before. Hear their prayers. They pray this, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Separate me unto yourself. Teach me how to walk in you, Lord. Give me a vision of what I am to be and to do. And Lord, give me the strength to persevere. Lord, hear that prayer as they repent of sin and turn toward you. 
And then we rejoice in you, Lord, as we partake together. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, we'd love for you to let us know that any way you see fit. Email, come here, come down front, go to the info booth, and just let us know that you did that. Let's worship the Lord while we're waiting.